welcome to Access Ideas, where we share insights and perspectives that spark curiosity, conversation, and inspiration. I'm Yana, and today I'm sharing a conversation with a fellow podcaster, Chris Miller. Chris is the host of the Talk to People podcast and the founder of the Social Fitness Lab newsletter. Chris and I first connected over our interest in the Harvard Longitudinal Study on Happiness, and we soon realized we shared a common focus on social well-being. Chris is passionate about communicating with young adults the importance of relationships, conversations, and community. In this conversation, I also share some personal stories about connecting with others after our move to a new city and the lingering challenges in building relationships after the pandemic. Chris has recently shared several insightful conversations on his podcast, and I encourage you to also follow him on the social media channels I've included in the show notes. And with that, I bring you Chris Miller. Welcome to Access Ideas, Chris. It's great to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. It is such a blast to be in this seat, and I am so excited to access some ideas with you today. Ooh, I like what you did there. And I understand you are usually on the other side of the mic, but as a host, now you're in the guest chair. Tell us a bit more about yourself and your vision for your podcast and the newsletter. Yes. Well, like you know, when you host a podcast, you get to think a lot about where you want the podcast to go and what questions you want to be asking. But one of the coolest things about being a podcast host is you get to determine that with your guest. So I'm happy that we get to do that together. But the podcast that I've been creating is called Talk to People Podcast. And the whole thesis of the podcast is life is better when you talk to people. Now, I have a history of why I created the podcast that way. And I'll just give you a really quick snippet of that. I studied communication in undergraduate, then I went to grad school and I started teaching public speaking. And I got to hear kind of what people were teaching as far as the spoken word goes. Um, But I took this job where I was on an airplane like every single week for two years. It was a suit and tie job. But one of the things I noticed was I wasn't around people. Um, Mm -hmm. I was always on the go. And that's a lot of the lives a lot of people live nowadays is with such an increasing mobile world. uh, Everybody's everywhere. And what I noticed was my life was a lot better whenever I was around a lot of people. So my whole entire podcast is about improving your life with better conversations, relationships, and community. And then I built a newsletter, which this great podcast was featured in. And that was so cool to be able to partner with you on that called the Social Fitness Lab. And that whole idea is just like we're physically fit, we can work out and get big muscles. We're also socially fit how we talk with people, the way we ask questions, the way we tell stories, that's all part of how socially fit we are. And, you know, with COVID, a lot of people's social muscles, they atrophied because they weren't in use. So now it's like, okay, how can we figure out how to become more socially fit so that we can live life together with people? Love that. And I think you and I connected as well on that concept as described in The Good Life. Uh, the, yes. the lessons from the world's longest scientific study of happiness. And there's a TED Talk, of course, uh, with Robert Waldinger, and the book itself goes into even more detail. And this book I read in the beginning of 2023, so this year, and it transformed, or I should say at least completely solidified my intuitions 
about how we can thrive. We are surrounded every day by messages of being strong and independent and going out there and succeeding. You know, how many corporate photography shots do you need to see of somebody at the top of a cliff, right? And they're always by themselves. (laughs) And yet, this book so beautifully lays out, we really do our best when we have these wonderful networks of relationships with a variety of people. So maybe tell me a little bit about that in terms of your philosophy on social fitness and maybe some of your own experiences aside from the job experience where you, you weren't around people. You know, what are some of the, the positives that have helped you validate that thesis? Yes. So the fact that you were talking about like the Harvard Happiness Study with me, whenever we had first interacted, I was like, oh my gosh, Uh, (laughs) that is one of my favorite pieces of research. And a big reason why is because it's a very respectable piece of research. Oftentimes you'll hear a study and you'll be like, well, how many, what was the sample size, right? It, It was just college students. It was just this, it was just that. But the fact that that's gone on for... I mean, we're not there yet, but soon it'll be a 100-year-old study, right? right. And it's, it supplies this whole thesis that the key to a happy life is by having great relationships. So what we're doing with our podcasts, both you and I, is being able to tap into that, but showcasing it in the digital sphere. Like you and I, we haven't met in person, yet what we can do is we can talk. And I always say we work with a professor at the University of Kansas just down the street. His name's Jeff Hall. He is an incredible professor, but we talk about how face-to-face interaction is the most optimal thing. If you can get, be it your neighbor or a coworker or even a romantic partner, if you can talk to them face-to-face, that's going to be the most fulfilling, have the most benefits. But that doesn't mean like texting or something like this, a video call is no good. It's much better than not having it at all. I read this article by the New York Times during COVID and it was talking about how once the world's starting to open back up a little bit, there were people who missed their Zoom buddies. Oh, wow. Because, yeah, because what they recognized was that they were actually becoming more connected via Zoom than they were prior to COVID. And whenever COVID was like, people were talking about how social isolation is bad. So we were a bit more aware of it. So then people leaned into Zoom. And that just goes to show that face-to-face interaction is great. That's the most preferred, but that doesn't mean this isn't good as well. So it's really cool what you're doing because you get to be in a different country than me that we both get to talk about these same ideas. I agree. And I have to say, I never really went back to the office after COVID. I think (laughs) after uh, March 13th, 2020, we all packed up our things. And I since moved to a different company. And uh, I've been to that office three times in the year, just more for team events and to see my colleagues. But I work from home every day. So I've had a lot of time to think about the importance of connection and I've made it a point to set up virtual coffee chats with my colleagues to get to know them and we even have uh, some of them I have weekly or bi-weekly coffee chats and it's no pressure if they need to cancel they can but that has been one of the most important ways to feel connected and like I get to know people. Yeah so 
Do you miss that office lifestyle? I don't. And I think it's mostly because I was taking the subway in Toronto and it was just a really intense uh, commute. Often the subway would break down, so it wasn't really fun. Um, I, you know, and then I notice when I'm at home, I can get up and walk around in the nice summer weather. I can go out into the garden and mull over an idea. I wouldn't say I'm introverted, but I definitely appreciate some quiet time to process and think and just get my ideas on paper or on the screen, I should say. But I really had a great time last month when I got to see my colleagues in person and we just had a fun time together. We did glow in the dark mini putt and we had a great meal together. And so I wonder if maybe the future of work will look more like that, where when people do get together, the emphasis really truly is social and it's okay to not focus on work for that whole day and just appreciate each other and and the collaboration and camaraderie. What do you think? Do you think that's sort of an optimal way or do you you really like going to the office? Oh, I I kind of agree with you. I think that particularly when you have a bad commute like that, and for instance, when I was traveling on a plane and I would get a notification on my phone that my flight was delayed for two hours, (laughs) it is the biggest buzzkill. So, to have the opportunity to stay home and have that flexibility is so good. I was reading an article the other day and it was talking, it was encouraging organizational leaders to have more meetings not related to work, which is what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of research on that too. That I had a guy on my podcast named Mike Montague and he studies the art of play. So being able to go to organizations and have fun, joke around, do skits, play games. And it allows us to bond side by side, focusing on something that's not related to work. So we remove the stressors, right? The cortisol. And then we <laughs> yeah. have the the dose, the dopamine, the oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins, right? So that brings us together. So I do think you're definitely onto something. And There's a reason why these companies that are really well-known, like Google, will have a slide in its corporate office, right? Like, they're doing cutting-edge work. They're typically the first at whatever uh, technological breakthrough there is, yet still, they create time to have candy at their office or to have slides. So it goes beyond that. And you being at home, not being in the office... And still being able to like enjoy life is a testament to it can work. But I do think it can be quite hard because there were a lot of people who had a lot of social fulfillment at work and then it was taken away from them. So then they had to figure out, okay, where do I replace this without realizing how important it was to them? And I still think people are still trying to come back from that. Um, I agree. And I was wondering, do you think most people who are lonely know that they're lonely or do they know something's off? Because I noticed towards the end of the pandemic era or when we were still wearing masks and going out and doing things, I would feel a bit awkward interacting and it would take me by surprise. And I would think, is this really me? Because I'm usually so good at speaking with people. And yet I would feel awkward or overly self-conscious So I'm wondering, there must be people out there who 
maybe they're avoiding interaction because like you mentioned that social muscle did atrophy and they've caught and they've maybe they've kind of retracted a little bit and they've decided you know what I'm going to go out less because yeah I do see less social planning or commitment like it's almost like people are more tired out by social commitments like they'll say oh I can only do one thing a week or one thing on a weekend whereas in the past if you went to the office every day you might do three things in a week Mm -hmm. or more yeah totally Adam Grant, he's a psychologist that I'll read some stuff from. He made a post that said, be gracious. There's going to be a lot of awkward conversations. (laughs) That's that's perfect. (laughs) Talking about how all of our social muscles, they went downhill. And now we have to go back out there. And just like you're working out your triceps with tricep pull downs and it hurts, like it hurts differently. And the way it hurts is with that social discomfort and knowing like, oh, I don't know how I'm about to have this conversation, but I should probably have it. So I I do think that you are on the money. It is a ton of social discomfort. And it's a weird thing because there's this book called Just Friends. And I'll send you like the link because I don't, I can't think of the the author right now, but I want to give him credit. But the the book talks about how it takes a whole bunch of time to make a friend. Like Jeff Hall's research says 200 hours to make a best friend. And that's kind of funny when you think of quantifying friendship in hours. But they went in there and they did the study and essentially had to guesstimate. But the guesstimate was about 200 hours. Now, once you do that 200 hours, then it doesn't feel like effort when you're spending time with that person. Mm-hmm. It's very natural. And then you get a ton of benefits from it. Like whenever you spend time with your best friend, you probably laugh and you're probably feel more relaxed and you leave feeling fulfilled versus whenever you go and you talk to a stranger, it takes a lot of effort. And then you may not be getting as much fulfillment from it because there's so much discomfort and uncertainty. So it's kind of a paradox because it's like, a a lag measure like we can't really tell when it pays off until we've already put the time in yeah you have to put the time in first in other words you can't just you know verify yes indeed if i spend 200 hours this person will be a worthy friend you kind of have to go for it and hope for the best and it's through the awkwardness and the tension or the not the tension but maybe you'll have moments of disagreement or awkward moments that actually forge the friendship, I would say. Yeah. And it's tough, right? Like you said, because it's uncertain. And that's one of the premises of the podcast, the Talk to People podcast is human communication is unpredictable. I could, you and I are talking, asking each other questions, and then I could start yelling the alphabet. And you'd be (laughs) like, what is he doing? Right? But we're not able to like wire one another to say certain things. So because of that, every conversation that you enter, there's uncertainty, there's anxiety because you don't know what's about to come down the pipeline. And you could be two, 150 hours into your 200 and then something happens and you go, oh man, we're no longer compatible. And that happens with relationships all the time. You know, I don't know if you ever got your heart broken, but I know I got my heart broken and this person that I thought, was going to be 
you know, my forever person ended up not being my forever person. So uh, romantic relationships, friendships, there's so much uncertainty there. And it, it, it does take that time. Totally. And I think we don't talk enough about heartbreak over fractured friendships. Um, one of the people I follow is Nidra Tawab, and she's written two great books about boundaries and, and how to communicate. But she has a, a lovely Instagram account, and they always have these nice pithy posts about how to look at things differently. And one of the points she makes is it is painful to separate from a friend. And it might be for very good reasons. It might be you've moved to a different city. Maybe it's just not possible to do the activities that kept you close before. And they're not a phone person or they're not a texter. They're not really into that communication. Maybe they've entered a new life stage and and they got a divorce or they they have a, a child and they're completely um, focused on that. But that loss is real, but I feel like we're not allowed to grieve it in a very public way because yeah. we live in a culture where friendship is so casual and, you know, like, no worries, no pressure. Um, and I loved your your conversation, actually, with Omri Gilrath, or Gilath, yeah. Omri Gilath, professor of social psychology at the University of Kansas, because he was speaking about that from a different culture perspective, you know, just that idea that in North America, and I will own it as a Canadian, this is pretty prevalent in Canada, there is this fleeting nature to friendships in the workplace uh, when you move cities. And I've I've experienced this a lot recently, having moved over, over the last year, seeing certain friends kind of fade away and other friends will maintain the communication or we, we find a way to stay in touch. And it's not as though anybody is maliciously trying to cut me off, but there's these cultural norms, right? Mm -hmm. And so going back to this idea of social fitness, how do we maintain social fitness when so much of our culture tells us, don't take friendships too seriously. The most important thing is like your financial success and being um, in a nuclear family and, you know, just be really friendly to people and have nice connections. But, you know, that should always come second or third or fourth. And it's, I find it very perplexing because yeah. the evidence is there that social fitness matters and that those relationships matter. And yet so much of our culture is built around strength and independence and and not putting so much weight onto those those networks. Yeah, it's a weird predicament because we talk about being healthy. Physically healthy is easier to talk about. It's like, hey, yeah, like you have the flu. It's like, okay, well, we need to make sure that we treat that. But whenever we have some type of deficiency or we have something that isn't as good as it could be, it's more difficult to talk about when it comes to social standards. And I don't know, have you listened to this new podcast that came out? It's called How to Talk to People by The Atlantic. Yes, I've listened to that. I love it. Okay. So like some of the stuff you're telling me about, it makes me think of that because they had mentioned how we talk about relational intensification, particularly with romantic uh dynamics yes. yet we don't do it with like friendship right and there's this theory about 
different steps with relational management and it goes to like initiation. So oftentimes people think about that as like sliding in the DMs, right? <laughs> but historically it's been like saying hi or breaking that we don't talk and now we do. And then there's that idea of like inquiry. So like asking questions, then there's intensification and then there's bonding and integration and all of these different steps that just like a good romantic partner is going to do for you, also a friend's going to do that. And we're going to have a different dynamic with our friend and romance. But you talking about that thing made me think of that podcast and how we don't talk about friendship the way we do romantic partner, but we should because our romantic partner, no matter how good they are, they're not going to fulfill all of our needs, right? Like we need to have our friends. We need to have good relationships with family members and with ideally our coworkers. But how do we prioritize social fitness whenever people aren't talking about social fitness is a great question. And one of the biggest ways that we have to do that is we have to, one, be aware that social fitness is important to us. To recognize that our society in the moment is placing emphasis or priority on other things, be it financial status or be it your, like how many followers you have on Instagram. Like there's a lot of different things we can get lost in. And then the third part is we just have to make the effort and go above and beyond to the limit of what we can offer. You know, you mentioned how you don't, as far as like introvert and extrovert goes, like there's a continuum there and I'm on that continuum somewhere and I feel more comfortable initiating. I was playing soccer and I initiated that and now we have a weekly group of 20 people who play soccer and it didn't exist prior to that, right? So going to the extent that you feel comfortable in making that effort because we live in a world that's changed so much that we have to do as much as we can to get that social interaction because historically, we didn't have to try. Like, we had to walk to the grocery store, and cars weren't a thing. So we saw people. We didn't have AC, so we spent a lot of time outside. We didn't have self-checkout, so we talked to the cashier, you know. But now we no longer have to talk to people, so we have to force ourselves to do it. I agree. We have to be deliberate. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying about scheduling coffee chats with my colleagues. Yes. You know, it seems a bit artificial on the surface because we're not just bumping into each other in the office, but that's really the only way I'm going to get to know them. Because otherwise, we're in these project meetings that have a very clear focus and we're not going to talk about the latest book we read or what we're doing on the weekend in any detail. Or maybe that one of our family members is is dealing with an illness and, and, you know, the challenges of that and then finding out, oh, I'm also dealing with that. And that is so fundamental, but you're right. We have engineered our lives, well, not personally, but our culture, our society, our technology has enabled us to engineer our lives so we can reduce any unwanted social interaction or even any social interaction, period. And this reminds me of one of my favorite books that I tell everybody about, and that is 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. And he talks a lot about how we are obsessed with productivity and optimizing our time. And we have come to believe that autonomy and freedom are the two most important things. So um, he has an example of a man named Mario and 
Mario has lots of money and he, he just travels the world on cruise ships. And he said, I'm the world's happiest man because I always have a friend. And he's talking about the crew on the cruise ship. Like, these are friendly people. Obviously, they're being paid to be friendly to him. Um, And there's something very sad about it, of course, because, you know, these are not his friends. These are people who are paid to make him feel comfortable. And yet, our social frameworks that we used to have from uh, the nine-to-five workday, from, like you said, going to the grocery store, going to the checkout, going to community groups, clubs, even the air conditioning example is awesome because yeah, we would go outside, sit on our porch and you would wave to the neighbors and invite them over for a glass of lemonade or just chat about their dog or whatever it is they're doing. And now, like you said, I could have my groceries delivered and the person leaves them at the door. I don't even see their face. Yeah. (laughs) It's wild how much it's changed. And it's the same thing for sedentary lifestyles. Yeah. We will feel like, man, it shouldn't be this hard to stay in shape. And we're not wrong. We feel that for a reason. Historically, it wasn't this hard to stay in shape. But now we can go the whole entire day just moving from our bed to the desk. That way we can do virtual work for eight hours and then to the couch, to the kitchen, back to our bed. Uh, Historically, we didn't have that luxury. We had to, more than likely, the internet wasn't around. We had to go and do different types of labor. And then we had to travel far because everything wasn't squished together. Nobody was delivering us stuff. But we run into this paradox where the technology is evolving so rapidly. And our hardware, our nervous system, our bodies doesn't evolve as rapidly so now we have to make metrics Uh, like with fitness we've made this metric about 10,000 steps a day I hear people say 30 minutes of physical activity a day and we have to do the same with other standards of health like social fitness we have to make that same metric for ourselves. I need to just like you're doing with the coffee I need to meet with this person at least once a week and Even if they don't text me back, I need to send this person whatever. Uh, This Surgeon General for the U.S., he's doing a big media tour all about loneliness, and he is recommending people to get three confidants. The, The power of three is what they're calling it. So just get three. Just start with three. That's your goal, three. And I think that's good. I think it's great to have more than three, but I think you need to have a baseline, you need to have something to strive for. So go for three. Yeah. And maybe that's a good place to get into the idea of quality of friends. So people that you can confide in. And I saw a term recently that I really liked, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the source, but it was your deal friends versus your real friends. Who are the people that you would call up to give you advice? In other words, if you're going to make a deal And who are the people that you're going to call up to let them know that maybe you're dealing with a bad illness or you just lost your job? And that's a great question. You know, if something happens that isn't great, do you have somebody that you can turn to and really confide in? Because from what I understand from the latest material that you and I are both referring to, whether it's Adam Grant or the Harvard study, a lot of people don't even have one person. They don't have one person. They might have people that they chit chat with, 
but they don't have anyone to bear their soul to, in other words. Yeah, which is tough to hear. And on that podcast I was doing with Amri Galat, I said, it seems like the future is kind of bleak because all of this data we look at talks about rising rates of loneliness and rising rates of social isolation and this downward slope of number of confidants. So we're going to have to do something about it. And I think talking about it's a really big thing. Doing what you can to go above and beyond. Like I try and talk to people at the gym. And I know there's people who are like, don't talk to me at the gym. I'm dialed in. <laughs> Has I'm anyone ever in. said that to you? I'm curious. Nobody's said that to me blatantly. But I'll see things on social media like I'm not there to play. I'm there to work. Like stuff like that. And to me, that's just like a garbage, uh, fake thing because 99% of the time, whenever I start talking to somebody, you can tell that they're not like, hey, shut up. Like They want to talk and they may not realize that, but once they get into conversation, they're like, wow, this is nice. I get to start wrapping words around things outside of me rather than just being within my own head. But you're right about having deal friends versus real friends. That's something I struggle with. It's funny, I spend all this time talking about friendship and connection and the power of having a great community. Yet I find myself talking to a whole bunch of people and building a really broad network, yet the depth can struggle. So I have to be really intentional with myself of being like, be vulnerable, open up. Uh, reciprocate if I have something like a my mom's dealing with something so whenever somebody asks me about it it feels nice it's like I get to share this with somebody and in the moments where I'm thinking I wish somebody would ask me about that then I hop on my phone and I start asking people about their life so no one's asking me right now but I'll ask this person hey you're about to get married are you ready for that Or, hey, I know you just got a new job. How's it going? And I think that's something we should strive for. If we feel like we could improve our life if we had a certain thing and we're not getting it, then see if we can provide that for others. And my hunch is that it'll follow suit. I agree. I think you have to put out that which you seek and always expecting people to ask how you're doing it's like well are you modeling that behavior and then even if you are you can't really expect everyone to reciprocate because not everybody wants that level of commitment and it is a commitment and that's something else I've realized recently is that some people are really really good at connecting and they love connecting and they're great connectors they're fun They are sincere, they are in the moment, they're present with you, but they're not necessarily interested in doing that at a set time at a, you know, throughout the future years. They want to be in the moment and enjoy that. And that's great. And I I appreciate that for what it is. And and I want to accept people who are, that's where they are. But I think the real gems are the friends who can do that in the moment. And then they can say, hey, let's do this again. Let's actually make plans. And they follow up. And that's the kind of friend that I try to be. I'm sure I'm not, you know, I've, I'm sure I have lots of room to grow still, but 
to me, that is the biggest compliment is when someone says, oh, you're so good at staying in touch or you're so good at planning get-togethers. And to me, it feels vital. It doesn't feel like, it's not exactly, like I wouldn't say I do it without thinking. It doesn't come to me automatically, but it feels like brushing my teeth in the sense that I want to brush my teeth because I want to have a good visit with a dentist next time I go to the dentist. And I know that even if I reach out to somebody and they don't reply, maybe I feel a bit bummed out by that because I think, oh, why aren't they answering? I know in the end it will add up to good things. And that's why I do reach out and I do, like like you were saying, like sending those notes and asking people how they are. It's like good social hygiene, right? Yeah. And we have to get our cleaning every six months for our yeah. teeth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're the, uh, that's one of those moments where you're like, I'm all about talking to people, but whenever the dental hygienist keeps talking to you (laughs) while her hands are in your mouth and you're like, I can't really say anything. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. so that's one point where you you are a bit challenged to respond. I found the exception to our rule of life is better when you talk to people. And that's whenever a dental hygienist is there, you know. Oh, yes. But that idea... Amri Galat talks about relational disposability, this concept where more people are researching it because with increased mobility and increased technology that allows for connection that isn't uh, like frictionless, like for instance, if I comment on your TikTok video, then I won't have to deal with rejection. I won't have to deal with wondering what you're going to say back to me but I can say that I connected with you. So relational disposability is viewing relationships as if we can throw them away and get new ones. Yeah. You know, and that news that I talk about a dry erase marker. How many times have you taken off the cap to a dry erase marker and wrote something or tried to write something and it doesn't work? So then you just toss it in the trash can, try and make it from across the room, and <laughs> then you get a new one. Yeah. And uh, it's tough because sometimes we talk about friendships with that same idea of like, yeah, I'm going to move, but I'm going to get more friends just because there's people there. So I'm going to build friends. And we overestimate or we underestimate the value the relationships have in our life and how important they are. And I know you just recently moved. So this is probably something you reflect on is there's a reason you moved and you made the move. But you can't bring everybody with you so that we we won't be able to escape it. And I admire some people who make decisions not off of a better compensation package, but they make decisions to say, this is a really fulfilling community. Even though I could make 20 more thousand dollars moving to Cincinnati, I'm going to choose to stay in Lawrence, Kansas. That mm-hmm. way I can continue to build this life. And I wonder too if that will become more apparent to more people if more people will will try to qualify or even quantify that in the years to come and mm. say you know by staying in this community i'm going to hold on to and i think you had this in your newsletter actually i'm going to hold on to you know a certain amount of social capital that might far outweigh $20,000 or however much that pay difference is 
And I think as we get older, maybe we appreciate it more as well because there is a very specific value to having friends around you who remember, you know, the stupid outfit you wore in high school or that really tough time that you went through heartbreak and you lost that partner of so many years. And it's not that you talk about those things every time you you hang out together, but it's part of the whole framework of how they know you. And it's so much richer than somebody who's only known you in one context for a year or less. The paradox, though, is you only find that out once you've had it for a while. And and then you, oh, I really appreciate this. You know, I just had one of my childhood friends visit. And that's one of the things we did when we moved to Ottawa was we actually made sure we had a guest room and a bed and a really welcoming space so that we could lure people to stay with us and come and visit. So, let, 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 let's show you the cool trail. Good for you. And like, to me, that was a really important aspect of moving here because I thought if we could at least offer hospitality, we can hang on or strengthen some, hang on to or strengthen some of those relationships. And I'm not going to, you know, use that room for, for some hobby or an office. Like it's, it's more important to me that people know that when they come to stay with us, that that is the highlight of our weekend or the Mm -hmm. week that they're with us. That's really important. Yeah. I do think it's going to be a more popular thing as we progress and we see it and even scrolling TikTok, you'll see some of the content that's becoming popular is about mental health or it's about people doing good deeds. And with the Surgeon General doing a big media tour and getting the Department of Health and Human Services to write like this 82-page document all about connectedness, everything's going to follow. There's going to be a moment to where it's more in the general rhetoric to talk about the importance of social connectedness. It's, I, I don't know when that is. And I see these reports about, here's why you need to be talking like that. You know, we'll send, we'll share stuff with one another, but some of the stuff you were sharing the other day, I was like, yes, like I read it and I'm like, there's a reason why more and more people are hearing about this is because it's important. It, it matters. So since you just moved, how has it been finding friends in your new city? That's a good question. And it's something I'm working on. Full confession, I thought it would be easier, like most people. I assume because this was a smaller city than Toronto that people would be more friendly. But they're being very typically Canadian, which is to say, very polite. And if you say hello, they'll say hello back. But they all, they're not forthcoming. Like They won't say, oh, come over to our place. And that is a distinction, I would say, between Canadians and Americans. Um, and my parents are immigrants from the Netherlands. So I've kind of a nuanced perspective about this. But I did assume my neighborhood would be more friendly, that people would be more outgoing. And when my husband and I go for walks, I'll say hi to everybody. And it's really funny when half the people look absolutely shocked, like some people almost jump because it's like, you're talking to me. And some people will do the full, hello, how are you? And and most people, though, just look surprised or they'll just say a quick hello. So 
I started to make inroads just by waving to the neighbors saying, hey, the weather's great. This is a nice day to sit out on your porch and that because they are sitting out. Or like I mentioned, I'm a gardener, so I had an extra plant. So I offered it to a couple of my neighbors and I managed, I, I have two of them now on WhatsApp. So nice. I mean, it's just like these little things or... Uh, we get a lot of snow removal here in Ottawa in the winter. We had, I actually did the conversion today to try and explain it. It was, I think it was over 10 feet of snow over the last winter. Wow. Um, so with the snow, of course, comes all these, you know, other debris that's picked up and, and you know, thrown onto your lawn. And so when the spring comes and the snow melts, I noticed my neighbor's rocks had just been kind of disposed of on my lawn. So I picked them up and I put them in a container and I I, I took a picture and I, I put it on a porch. I said, oh, by the way, you know, I found these on my lawn. I know they <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, just little things. <laughs> right. Seems like a small thing, but I'm like, one day maybe it'll be more and I'm going to keep making those little friendly gestures. But some people I never see, so it's a little bit more tricky. Yeah. Shout out to you. You're doing it. <laughs> I'm trying. By by picking up rocks. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> but that's that's what it takes is it's finding and it looks different for everybody. And this is one of the cool things, but also one of the hard things when we talk about social connectedness, because there is no I mean, the answer we think is like go talk to people, right? Yeah. Um, but the truth of the matter is like you have to listen you have to be able to be good at perspective taking you have to be good at planning and be good at creating room in your mind for navigating your personal life and your work and whether or not you went to the gym like there's so much that's what it takes and you said a phrase that we're hearing all the time but i thought it was going to be much easier yeah. And I do have a tip. I do have a tip because I think most of us are afraid of vulnerability. So we think, well, if my neighbor asks me for help, of course, I will be, you know, so generous and I would be happy to help them. But you know what actually bonds you to people closer is when you ask for help or yes. ask for advice, you know. So one of the things that I did is we have a neighbor who sits out fairly often. So he's easy to talk to. I mean, he's, he's usually outside. And I noticed that he has a lawn care business and my lawn wasn't doing so great. <laughs> uh, I mean, I lived in a condo tower for the last 12 years, so I, I never had a lawn. So I, I went to him and said, can you give me some advice? Because I, and I introduced myself and I mean, mind you, we'd been living across the street from this person for six months or more. So it's not like this was soon after we moved, but I thought I really want to break the ice. And he seems like he's more social than some. So he had all this advice and he was really happy. And he said, you know, you got to rake some fresh, good quality topsoil into that, into that lawn. Especially here, we get a lot of salt on our yeah. lawns after winter uh, snow. And, you know, now whenever I see him, when he drives by in his truck, when he walks by, we always wave. He says, hello. Oh, there um, you go. And it's like <laughs> when you allow people to help you, that gives them a sense of purpose. It validates who they are. It makes them feel important in some way. And, and you know, it wasn't fake. It's not like I, I actually knew what to do with the lawn and I was just asking him so that he could have a chance to give me advice. But I think that's one of the things that we don't do enough is give people a chance 
to shine, to share their knowledge, to share their wisdom, because no matter how smart we are, they're going to be an expert at something that we don't necessarily know much about. And asking them for that is such an easy way to foster a great conversation because it's going to be something they care about. It's going to be something that they're interested in and they feel generous. And, And it's like it doesn't cost them anything other than a few moments. Right. I think about that often too. This There's a Ben Franklin quote, and he says he would ask people to borrow books from them. Nice. That way he could read the book, but also because he said they liked me more. They do. <laughs> they absolutely do. Right. Because we like people who we help. If we help somebody, we don't want to believe something bad about them because why would we help someone we don't like? So it kind of, it's a bit of a circular thing, but I do think when we help someone, we're invested in them to some degree. We want to see them succeed or we, we want to see them succeed with their lawn, maybe in my neighbor's case. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And he has made comments to say, oh, your lawn's doing great. So oh, it's all thanks to you. <laughs> that is so cool. Now you will feel like, okay, I need to go and put in 100% on my lawn that way. I can make them proud. Yes. I have to admit, I was serious about that topsoil. I was not (laughs) going to skimp on that because I thought, oh, I've got to show them that I listened. And, you know, I do like my lawn to look nice. But in the end, it, it it was a really nice way to at least have a friendly connection. You know, I don't know his life story yet, and maybe I won't, but would I approach him if if something happened or I needed something like simple. Of course, I think I would feel more comfortable now doing that. We're so afraid to ask or look like we don't know how to do something or look ignorant, look vulnerable. And yet that's ultimately why people like us. It's, it's, and yet it's a lesson I keep learning. You know, it's, I can say this, but I have to keep learning the lesson. (laughs) Me too. And I can hear you say it and I can say it back to you. But I still have a hard time asking people for help. I learned how to say help in a couple of different languages. Like Ayudar is Spanish. And cool. it's something I need to get better at. So just like learning. Because I want to be that guy who does it all and does it all incredibly well. And But then I don't want people to be friends with me just because I can do it all. You know, So it doesn't actually work out whenever we put everything that we have in our heads out to reason with it. Um, It doesn't make sense. So being able to ask for help is so good. And you had mentioned, like, how do we make friends or build community if one, we're not religious and one, we're not sporty? Yes. And this is my challenge because I'm neither. I do go to the gym and um, I do a lot of solo workouts. Maybe that's something I could work on. But I was curious, you know, you must speak with people about this who yeah. who aren't religious, they're not they're not comfortable maybe in a religious setting. Yeah. What do we do? I mean, to to real and, and I'm thinking more beyond the one-on-one because I'm pretty good with one-on-one, but I don't have a friend group, I would say. I have many, many, many friends that are one-on-one, but I do like the idea of having a group. And you mentioned the soccer. Right. Uh, the weekly soccer and that's great and you're obviously uh, comfortable with sports but let's say i'm not sporty which i'm not and i'm, and I'm not <laughs> religious so how would i what are some good good ideas there 
Yeah. Great question. And I was talking to somebody the other day and they're like, yeah, okay, but I don't like organized religion. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Like the idea of showing up to the same place week after week for something, I think is one of the best methods to build like a friend group, be that rock climbing or, or okay, let me think of non-sporty things. Chess club, <laughs> you know. Yeah, um, a book club? Yeah, a book club. I have a sister-in-law and she goes to art clubs. But the weekly cadence, I think, is a great thing to look for. And thankfully, we have a lot of like social institutions that currently exist. We have the Lawrence Art Center here, or we have the theater troupe, or we have the university down the road that does a lot of events. But finding a structure that already exists and then tapping into that. So like volunteer societies uh, is a big thing. For some reason, I keep thinking about rock climbing because I heard this story of this woman who did not have any friends and then she started rock climbing at this indoor rock climbing place. And she'd show up there every day at the same, not every day, but each time she went, she went at the same time on the same day. And then there are the same people there. And then it's like, hey, I saw you last week. I saw you last week. I saw you, you know, and before you know it, you're talking about, typically it's going to be confined to whatever the activity is. So like, you were really good at climbing that red wall. And then it's like, yeah, well, how's your day going? <laughs> you know, like, so so tapping into that weekly thing is good. And then another thing that I like to do is I like to be the one to mix people. And maybe I have a friend from soccer. Then I'll mix. I'll be like, hey, let's come over. We're going to watch the, for me, it's like watch the NBA. And -hmm. then I'll invite a whole bunch of people. And sometimes it gives my wife anxiety because she's like, (laughs) I don't think this is going to mix very well. And I'm like, well, let's see what happens. And I, I think that's good because if you make friends with somebody, then more than likely that person's going to know people who you may also be who you may also want to be friends with. So, getting people together and then encouraging people to invite people, it's kind of scary because it's like the wild west. You don't know what's going to happen, but it creates opportunity. You know, we're no longer waiting for it. We're no longer in that mindset of like, no, it's going to be organic. It's going to happen. It's like, well, let's see if we can put what is it, baking soda and hydrogen peroxide uh, together? <laughs> Hopefully something's going to happen. Yeah, and well, I like your idea too because chances are you didn't put people in the same room expecting a brawl. You expected yeah. that they might have something in common. I mean, obviously, minimum, they want to watch the game. <laughs> yeah, right. Chances are maybe they like some snacks, and you know. So you build from there. But I, I agree. I think those types of events are what I miss most from before COVID. And I think they're the slowest to come back in some respects. Yeah. Um, partly because we replaced a lot with virtual technology like Zoom. And partly because there is that sort of lag energy where people feel more taxed by social events. I think it's going to come back though, because I think people miss it. And it's genuinely, you know, one of the greatest places to meet a lifelong friend, or at least 
a very good one, um, potentially even a, a romantic partner. And if not, you you still have fun. And there's something to be said about leaving it up to chance and it's not overly planned and it's not overly structured. I think there's almost maybe a, like a renewal of the novelty aspect of that where maybe people are going to, you know, deliberately put aside their phones and 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 hang out together. I think there's there's got to be some opportunities there. Me too. And I think it's incredibly important that we dedicate our time and maybe just a little bit more thought into how you think about it. Like we can talk about what it is, but how to do it. And there's this idea of you show up, be it to that weekly thing, or you show up to your neighbor's house like you did and you ask about the lawn, or you show up with a bucket of rocks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you show up and you show up consistently and then you reach out. And by reaching out, you're initiating those conversations. Uh, you can also reach out to existing friendships, like keeping them in good health. And by doing that, typically you'll show up, then you'll reach out, and then hopefully you can plan something with the date and time. And then you show up again, and then like reaching out and that reciprocity. And if you don't have the bandwidth for that, then you replace. What I mean by replace is like looking at your schedule and being like, I typically watch TikTok for three hours on Sunday nights. Maybe I could replace an hour of that with like going on a walk and putting myself at chance of having intentional interaction with somebody. Because I think a lot of us want to talk to people, but we literally aren't giving ourselves any opportunity to do that. You know, maybe we want a romantic relationship or we just want a friend but we are living, leaving zero opportunity in our agenda to do that. So replace. And then the last thing I always say is like restorations, like restore. A big thing about loneliness is that you have reactive loneliness, which is based on seasons of life. If you just move, more than likely you're going to be lonely. You get dumped, you'll be lonely. Um, but there's also chronic loneliness. And typically chronic loneliness is less about what's going on um, with the move you just made. And something more, you know, and like, that's whenever it's great to be able to talk to a clinician or be able to um, address some type of deficiency. Because if you go talk to somebody, yet you are having like a lot of negative self-talk, then you may not be able to have a good conversation. You're going to have to deal with that first. So it's good to have things to do, yet it's never just as easy as just being like, all right, well, time to go do it. Well, I guess the bottom line is just don't give up, never give up. Yeah. Little incremental steps, whether it's, you know, it doesn't have to be as much as speaking with a therapist, although for many people that can be life-changing in a good way. But I agree. It's what could you do today to expand your ability to connect, whether it's reaching out to a connection on LinkedIn that you used to be more close to, maybe you're friendly with and you, and you want to ask them for some career advice or even just like what's new in, in your role or going on a walk and leaving your home instead of scrolling on your screen, seriously, uh, putting your phone down. Yeah, basic, basic stuff. But hey, you know, there's no shame in writing it down on a post-it note so it's in front of you all the time. These are the little cues that can really help. And we don't think about it once it's in our phone and it's stored away or, you know, if it's not out there, sometimes we just forget. So I love those tips. Super practical. I was going to ask you as well, what would you like more of on your podcast or in your community building activities? 
Hmm, that's a great question. One of the things I want more of is particularly storytelling. I was writing about storytelling today, but like stories are so relatable. That's how we connect with people the most. And I think that if we tap into that, like learning how to share a personal story can really help us connect with those around us. Um, we all can connect with this idea of like, I had to overcome this or I had this adversity. Mm -hmm. And th that's really important. So storytelling. Nice. Well, I look forward to listening to more episodes. And thank you so much again, Chris, for coming on the podcast. It's been fantastic having you. Thank you for having me on. It was so much fun. I had such a great conversation and I'm really happy to be a part of this podcast. If you love access ideas, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review us on Podchaser via the link in our show notes or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. Tell your friends about the podcast too. Until next time, thanks for listening to Access Ideas. <laughs>